Uh, thank you, Lee. <clears throat> Morning, everyone. Um, how y'all doing today? Anybody tired? Man, I mean, the holidays, you look forward to them, you anticipate them, you're excited about them, and then all of a sudden it's here and it's gone, and you're kind of like left in this daze. I don't know about you, but like we had our whole family, and we actually had a wedding over the, the uh, couple of weeks of holiday season two, and had lots of family in town, and I don't sleep well when that happens. Anybody else, like you, you eat too much, and you're up too late, and you talk too much, and then you're laying in bed thinking about everything you said that you wish you hadn't said, and all that, all that sort of stuff. So it's easy to feel, to, to enter the new year just kind of like a, on a little bit of a, of a tired note. I'm not going to say a down note, because it's not like down, but it's just tired. And um, that, that sense of weakness uh, is what we talked about last week, and being thankful even when we're weak. And we're going to continue that theme today. There are some things from the story that we looked at last week that we didn't actually um, um, suss out to the degree that, that I wanted to, and I think the Lord wants us to. And, and so we're going to look at that again. But um, weakness is something that we all encounter, whether it is just actual physical weakness, where you're just too tired to walk up the steps to get to bed sometimes, or uh, weakness can be emotional weakness, where we feel like we've uh, faced everything we can for a season of time, and we just need to pull away and recharge. But all of those are connected to and impacted by and as well impact uh, just the overall sense of spiritual strength that God wants us to walk with in our hearts and, and in our lives. And so this whole concept of weakness is something that God wants us to understand so that we can walk through it because it's, it's part of life here. And no matter how spiritually mature a person is, there are things that can, that, that can come into our lives that will take our breath away take our strength away and leave us feeling, feeling weak. And what we need to understand when we think of that and uh, what we need to, uh, to, what I think this message is all about is how to be thankful in the midst of weakness, how to, how to maintain a focus on God even when I'm feeling weak, even when I'm facing a big struggle or a big battle or something, I don't know how it's going to turn out. How do I maintain thankfulness. And when I say thankful, you know, I'm not talking about just saying the words, uh, thank you. Would you please pass the sugar? Pass the sugar. Now, thank you. How many of you have kid, as kids had your parents tell you, don't forget to say thank you? Mm-hmm. Or you told your kids, I'll say thank you. You know what we're shooting for there is not just the repetition of words. I mean, the habit is good, okay? We're hoping that the habit becomes the heart in that case. That's what we want. What we really want to be saying to our children is, be thankful. Be a thankful person. Have a thankful disposition about life so that whatever comes at you in life, your core response is one of thanksgiving to God. You know, people can have a grumpy disposition, and that's really a thankful disposition, a heart attitude. Uh, the inclination of the heart is towards thankfulness, and it's possible for a person to be a grumpy person, 
And that person has a grumpy disposition towards life. What that means is anything they experience in life, whether it's something really, really good or, or bad or in between, they respond to it with grumpiness because that's the disposition of their heart. Other people are kind and they're kind all the time. And, and, you, and you see some people be kind and you think, how could they have been kind in that situation? And yet they just responded with kindness. It wasn't like they had to, they had to go through this battle and quote verses to themselves and, and then finally squeeze out some kindness. But it just seemed to just flow from them. And that's because it's the disposition of the heart. And the thing that we need to know is that Jesus died to change our hearts. He died on the cross in order to defeat sin, to defeat guilt, to defeat the power of sin in our lives so that he could give us new hearts that would have his heart disposition rather than that fallen heart disposition we're born with. And so the, the, the basic core thing here is that I want to grow in that new heart that Jesus has given me. And, and I want to just lean into the things Jesus has created in me. And the, the, the new heart he's given me is a heart of goodness. And it's a heart of thankfulness. And it's a heart of joy. And I want to just lean into that. Uh, last week we had our family with us and um, our three granddaughters around the house most days. So it was really wonderful to get to spend time with them. Um, our youngest granddaughter, who's about six months uh, old, Estelle, uh, some call her Estelle, some call her Stella, and I, I kind of took to calling her Essie, but um, she's just as bright as can be. And if she was here right now, she'd have her head up just looking around, examining all of you and, uh, and, and you know, checking out what's happening. And one day, uh, it was time for uh, Essie to take a nap. And she was so tired, she could barely keep her eyes open, but she wouldn't put her head down. And, I, you know, I'd, I'd hold her and I'd, you know, do this and sing and talk and, and in a low voice and just try to put her head down on my shoulder. And she would just fight that and pop her head back up because she wanted to see what was happening around. So what I tried to do was make it easy for her to lean into me. So what I did was, you know, her head's right here, right here. She's not like six feet tall or anything. It's right here. <laughs> And, uh, and I just went over and I just nuzzled my cheek up against her cheek. And that was irresistible to her. And so she just laid her head into my cheek. And as she laid her head into my cheek and I just kept moving and singing softly to her, it wasn't 30 seconds until her head just went from my cheek right down onto my shoulder and she was sound asleep. Now, what God wants us to do is find the ability to just rest on him. I, I, my heart, at my heart, I just want to rest my heart into him and just rest my heart into his cheek and then just let, let, let my head slide from his cheek to his shoulder. I'm resting in him. I'm leaning into him and in the new creation that he's made me. Because if I've received Jesus, if you've received Jesus, and if you haven't received Jesus, what a better time to do it than at the beginning of the new year. But if you've received Jesus, then not only does the Holy Spirit come in and change our hearts and give us hearts like Jesus, but Jesus says, I will come to you. He says, I will live with you. He says, my Father will dwell with you. 
And so we literally have the Trinitarian God living inside of us, dwelling in us. And this whole thing of being thankful in the, in the face of weakness is really a matter of le- learning to lean my heart, just lean my heart into Jesus and rest my heart into him. So his joy, his joy is what we live in. And then thankfulness just comes, comes out of that. I had someone tell me recently, and I told them this like a year ago, um, I, I said in, in, in the upper room discourse in John 14, 15, 16, Jesus says, my joy I give to you and no one can take it away from you. And so I told this person, you realize Jesus is in you. He has given you his joy. Don't let anyone take it from you. And so every time I see her now, she says, I'm, not, I'm, I'm holding on to it. I'm keeping the joy Jesus gave me. I'm not going to let anyone take that away from me. And that's kind of what we're talking about, just allowing him to fill our hearts through the Holy Spirit's presence with his disposition of goodness and peace. And I think the thing is that it rests in the concept that God is good. It, it really, really, this, this having a thankful attitude Having that good heart that's a thankful attitude rests in the confidence in God's goodness. That God is good. That he cares about your life. That he knows you. That he wants to be involved in your life. That he cares about what's happening in your life. He's good. And whatever you're facing, you don't have to face it alone because God is good and he's with you. And he'll, and he'll just be right there to face it with you. God's good. Do you remember the verse we used last week? It was from Joel, and uh, it was uh, Joel 3.10. And it was a, a prophetic word about the future, the end times. And actually, Joel was prophesying about our day, about the day after when Messiah comes, when he breaks the power of sin by dying on the cross when he uh, is raised from the dead and then ascends back to God the Father. And and here's the verse, Joel 3.10. It's real simple. Let the weak say... Okay, again, let the weak say... All right, there it is. When I feel weak, he's saying, "What what I need to recognize is I am strong because Jesus is in me. And I feel weak. And no doubt we all experience that. No, nothing unusual about that. Tired, just just depleted spiritually, depleted emotionally. But what I need to recognize is Jesus is in me, and so I can say these words, I am strong. Now, the story we looked at last week was from Second Kings uh, 20, Second Chronicles 20, and it's the story of a king named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was the king of the southern kingdom at this point in uh, the, the, the uh, history of God's work in the nation of Israel, uh, the nation of Israel had divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom maintained the name Israel. And the southern kingdom took the name Judah because the tribe of Judah was the prominent tribe right there. Now Judah was the area that had Jerusalem. And so that's where the temple was. And so that's where both nations were supposed to come to the temple to worship. But the northern, uh, the northern uh, tribes, the northern uh, kingdom, really didn't want their people going down to Jerusalem to worship because that would attach their hearts more to Judah 
than to Israel. And so they had a tendency to lean in the direction of idolatry and, and all sorts of other, other uh, strange uh, worship patterns and attaching to other gods from the surrounding uh, area. But Judah, by and large, was more faithful. They, they uh, strayed many times too. They were probably more faithful to the Lord than the northern kingdom. This king Jehoshaphat was a good king. He trusted God. And, uh, and he was walking with God. His father had taught him that, Asa, King Asa. And what happens at this point in the story is this, that Jehoshaphat has heard news that there are three neighboring nations that are about to attack him, about to attack Judah. They've massed a, a massive army on the border, and they're ready to invade. And so, of course, there's a lot of fear and anxiety uh, throughout the whole nation. But uh, Jehoshaphat calls everyone for a season of fasting and prayer. And in the midst of that fasting and prayer, uh, a prophet stood up and gave this prophetic word to Jehoshaphat and to all the people of Judah. And here's what he said. Uh, it says this, thus says the Lord to you, this is verses 15 and seven, 15 through 17. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go out down against them. You will not need to fight in this battle. You'll, you will need, it's implied, you will need to stand firm and hold your position. And when you do, you will see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Now, there's an insight from this that I want to give to us, and that, that is this. God had a vested interest in the welfare of Judah. Because it was his people. This was his nation, Judah and Israel. They're going to be reunited. God's plan was to send the Messiah through this nation of Israel so that the whole world could be blessed through the Messiah. And so God had a vested interest in them. He had had invested in them, and he wasn't about to walk away from his investment. He wasn't about to walk away from his plan. And so we read here, battle's not yours, the battle's God's. Well, why is that? Well, it's because God wants them to succeed. God wants them to prosper. He wants them to continue. And the, the point for you and for me is this, that through Jesus in us, God, I mean, God has a vested interest in you. I mean, listen, he sent his son to die on the cross for you. His son left heaven. Jesus left heaven and became a human being. So he could take sin on himself. He could become sin for us so we could become the righteousness of God through him. That's an investment. He has a vested interest in your life. He cares about you. And we need to recognize that that so many of the battles that we fight are not ours to fight at all. Jesus already fought them. Jesus already won them. The battle over the power of sin in our lives. Jesus already won that battle. And what we need to do is to lean into him, lean into what he has provided for us and what he's done in our lives so that we can experience his strength. And even, in, even when we're feeling weak, his, his strength is there to make us strong. And so what it takes for this to happen, um, well, well, he makes the statement here. He says, do not be afraid. So th- that's good to hear. And anytime you read that in the Bible, it's worth reading over and over and over again. Do not be afraid. Okay, listen to this. Take this. This is God's word. This is God speaking. 
and, and I want to speak these words to you. And I want you, if you're afraid right now, just open your heart up and hear these words. Do not be afraid. Okay. Do not be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. There's, there's no need for fear. Now, why is that? Because God's going to fight for us. Because the battle's not ours, but God's. And so we don't have to fear. We can, we can walk away from fear. He does say this. Stand firm. Hold your position. As I said last week, we do face battles, don't we? And we have to face them. God wants us to face them. And, you know, he, could take the, he could take the battles out long before they even be, become uh, part of our sphere of, uh, of understanding or even see them coming. And, and I believe God does do that. He does take things out even before they, uh, they go over, come over the horizon where we can see the enemy coming. But we, we have to stand firm when we do face the trials and the struggles. And we can do that because in our hearts, we're leaning into Jesus. In our hearts, we're leaning into him. We know God is good, and we're trusting Jesus with it. And we're looking at this problem coming, and, and it might be that uh, you have three cars, and they're all broken down, and you don't know how you're going to get to work. It might be a, a health problem, and you're waiting for tests to come back. It might be a relational problem, and you just don't know what you can do to get into good relationship with this other person. It might be your spouse. It might be a child. It might be a brother or a sister or or it might be that at work someone has gossiped about you and you're fearful of losing your job or you're hearing they're talking about downsizing. I mean, it could be so many different things that we fear in, in this world. But what, what we need to do when we see these things is to plant ourselves and stand firm. And as we stand firm, that's when we see God work. Hold our position and you'll see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Now, what happens is this, that when we see God work, our spiritual eyes begin to clear. Uh, You see, we have spiritual eyesight just as we have physical eyesight. And God wants our spiritual eyes to be open and clear so that we can see what God's doing in our lives and what God's doing around us. And so when a person comes to know Jesus, their spiritual eyes are opened. And, And whereas before we were born Uh, We were born fallen. That means our spiritual eyesight, the part of that means that our spiritual eyesight, we were blind spiritually. When I received Jesus, suddenly I can see. Now, in physical life, it seems that the older a person gets, the more mature they come, their their physical eyesight kind of degrades and goes down. Well, in, in the spiritual realm, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. As we mature... And, and as we see God work and as we get close enough to the battle that we actually see God's deliverance, our spiritual eyesight ramps up. It becomes sharper and sharper. And maybe it was 2040 at one time and before you were blind. Now it's 2040. That's awesome. You can see. But, but as, as we grow and as we see more of God and as we open our hearts up more to him, a lot of that happens in worship. But as we do, our spiritual eyes are sharpened. And we, we, it's 2030 now. Well, it's, it's 2020. It's 2010. And, and our spiritual eyes are sharpened so that we can actually see God with us. And, and that's, that's, what, that, that's where he wants us to get. 
Now, another insight here, besides the fact that God has a vested interest in your life, therefore you can trust him. He's good. He loves you. He cares about you. And he's already invested in your life. Second thing is this. Um, we can trust him to begin to do life his way. We can trust to begin to do life his way. So many of the problems we face in life, it seems, do come from us living according to the nature we were born with, the fallen nature we were born with, living according to the patterns we see around us in our culture or society that are filled with people that are born with fallen natures that don't have spiritual insight. So maybe I have a relational problem and and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, well, this person did this to offend me and this person did this to offend me and that person hurt me here and this person hurt me here. And it's easy to look outside and say, well, it's all their fault. Well, maybe, maybe, well, no, no doubt that it's wrong if they offended you. But maybe what God wants me to do is look look in here and look in here and ask myself, Am I thinking biblically? Am I relating to people in a biblical way, the way God wants me to relate to people? And this isn't a message about relationships, so I can't go into all of that. But there are biblical ways to relate to people. And so when we trust God, what that means is we are willing to say, okay, God, I I know it feels like I should retaliate in this situation. I should do something to get even and show them that they can't treat me this way. But instead, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to bless them. I'm going to bless them. And that's what the Bible says. Bless those who despitefully use you. It goes contrary to our thinking. But in, in this next pa- passage uh, that we want to read from Second Chronicles, here's what happens. This is King Jehoshaphat. And he says, uh, when they went out, and meaning they're getting ready to go into the battle, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah. And inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. Now, the word believe there, the Hebrew word, it's very interesting. It's just, it, 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 it speaks to like a support system, to a framework that would support something else. And so the idea is that this thing you're looking at has a strong, solid foundation, and when it's turned into a verb and put into the, the into a into a thought where I am I am to carry it, it means that I'm going to have strength in my heart to see God's strength. I'm gonna I'm gonna have the the, the support system and structure in my life is going to be one of seeing God's good. And he has a vested interest in my life, and boy, I'm gonna put this in his hands. I'm gonna put this in his hands. And I am not going to carry, I'm not going to fear. I'm going to put it in his hands. I'm going to trust him. And part of putting it in his hands means that I'm going to be open to him telling me I've been doing it wrong. I'm going to be open to him saying, hey, you know, right here, um, you know, I, I, I want you to see that there's a different way to handle your finances than that. I want you to see that there's a different way to handle truthfulness in relationships than, than the way you've handled it. And, and on and on and on. And God wants us, as we trust him, and we trust him, that means that we're going to respond to his word. We're going to respond in faithfulness to him and, and, and live the way he calls us to live. So stand firm um, means that... Uh, <laughs> 
Actually, it's the same word as trust. When, when it says established, it says established in this translation. Trust in the Lord and you believe in the Lord and you will be established. All right? The word believe and the word established are the same word in Hebrew, just different forms of the word. One's a noun, one's a verb. So the way I would translate it is this. Stand firm in him and you will be made firm. Let your firmness be in him. Stand firm in him and you will be made firm. You will experience strength and you experience what it is to be rooted and firm in life. And so believe his prophets, he goes on to say. And um, these are two parallel thoughts, believe in the Lord and believe his prophets. Uh, He's saying believe what God says. Take God's word for it. Trust God. If God says honor your parents, but you don't think your parents are worthy of honor, set aside your own thoughts and honor your parents. Okay, it's it's something it's it's simple stuff like that that we're talking about here. Basic principles about life. You know, the Bible says, do your best in every situation. Work hard. Even if your boss at work is unreasonable, show him Jesus. Live away. Work, work for that person in a way that would Jesus would. And yet my heart and my mind is saying, ah, this person's not treating me right. You know, I shouldn't have to put up with this, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna I'm gonna cut corners, and I might even I might even do something counter to what they want me to do. No, you, you put aside that thought and you say, No, Jesus, the Bible says, God's word says that I should I should honor this person even even if I don't think they're honorable and I should serve and work and do my best. There are principles like that throughout the Bible that are counter to our natural tendencies, but they are all in they're all wrapped up in this idea of believe the Lord. Believe him. They're all wrapped up in this idea of believe his prophets. He said believe his prophets and you'll succeed. You know, there's a place in the New Testament, and we're not going to put this verse up right now, but there's a place in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage a younger guy named Timothy. And, and he says, Timothy, he says, I, he says, what I'm encouraging you to do, find strength in the prophetic words that have been given to you in the past. Be strong because you've had these prophetic words given to you. And these prophetic words had to do with your ministry and your life. And so trust in God who gave you those words. And so there's a sense in which we, we, we read the Bible and we trust God through the Bible and we read it to know Jesus and we're, we're asking him, show me, open my eyes to see more. And we're also reading it to see where our thinking is off. We're reading it to see where our minds need to be renewed so we can think God's way and live God's way and follow his patterns of life and then, as well, there are prophetic words that we receive. And prophetic words, I mean, the Bible itself is like a big prophetic word, but prophetic words that we receive individually, <clears throat> the New Testament says, are words that are given to comfort, encourage, and build up. So prophetic words are not intended to tell a person um, where they're wrong or to show a person you know, how angry God is with them or anything like that. That's sometimes people mess up the idea, concept of prophetic words. It's to encourage and to bless and to build up. And so a prophetic word is a real short definition of it would be this. When a believer speaks the words to another believer in just a very simple way, 
the words God once spoken at that moment in time. The words of encouragement that God once spoken at that moment in time. Now, encouraging, uplifting, building up, that could be as simple as what I'm saying here. God is good and he loves you. I can say that. God is good and he loves you. That's, that's a truth, isn't it? And the Holy Spirit will use that in our hearts as we, as we hear it. There are moments in time where it might be after church, it might be in a small group, it might be walking through the mall, that God prompts your heart. And you see someone and you walk up to them, and, and I know this is a stretch for many of us, and um, I'm just using this as an illustration. I know we're all on a path of growth, but let's say you walk up to this person and you say, you know, pardon me, but I think God wants you to know that he wants you to hear that he is good and he loves you. And there's a moment when, when God has prompted you to say that, that that word, that simple word comes with power of the Holy Spirit. And that person, that person might break down weeping because it was just exactly what they needed to hear at that exact moment and it was what God wanted to have said to them. That's a prophetic word. Does that make sense? Someone um, after the service last night told me that uh, seven years ago they came to our church and uh, this individual had been going through a divorce and had felt the pain and heartache of that and had felt a lot of rejection from friends and and uh, others over it and even the churches that she had been visiting. And um, she came here one Sunday morning and at the end of the service, and I kind of remember this, I, I felt like I had a word. And I mean, there are many people who do this. It's not just me. But felt like I had a word that there's someone here going through a divorce and God wants you to know he loves you. You just need to hear he loves you and we want to pray for you. And so as she was telling me that last night, she burst out into tears because that was at that moment a prophetic word. That was something she needed to hear at that moment. And you see, prophetic words are like gems. It's like a, it's like a, a, a beautiful gemstone that you, have, that you get to hold in your hand and you look at it and as you look at the facets of it and the sparkle of the light, it's just beautiful. And then you have a nice little pouch. You put it in that pouch, zip it shut, keep it in your pocket. And at some point in the time, in the future, you think, oh, yeah, I, I remember that. I'm going to look at that again. You, you pull it out and you look at it again, and it lights your heart up again. And that's what was happening last night. As, as she was remembering that word, it just, it just filled her with a sense of faith and God's presence and God's love for her once again. So he's saying here the prophetic words... Um, are, are just an important part of the Christian life, an important part of, of our ongoing walks with the Lord. And um, yeah, I'm going to share this with you. Lori and I had our very first experience with prophetic words uh, when we had moved from Michigan. I had been pastoring a church there that did not believe in the gifts of the Spirit, did not believe that the Holy Spirit was active today or, um, or healing or anything like that. And I had changed my theology um, we had, we had shifted in our thinking, and so I resigned that church. We didn't know where we were going to move, but we knew we wanted to move somewhere where we could learn about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we ended up at this conference in Kansas City that uh, was a Holy Spirit-driven conference. And uh, 2,000 people there, but one of the uh, lunch periods, they had just pastors get together. 
So there are probably 150, 200 pastors and wives uh, all, all gathered in this room. We had lunch together. And then um, they had a guy stand up and they said, well, he's going to give some prophetic words now to people. And we're sitting kind of like in the back, off to the left. Um, and this guy points at us. Or he points back our direction. And I've never seen this happen before. I don't know what, what the heck is going on. And we're looking around, you know, who's behind us, who's he pointing at. And then our friends tell us, no, it's you, it's you going up. So we go up front and realize we've never experienced anything like this before. But um, he first, he, he said, well, you are this type of person and, and you've experienced this. And he spoke to Lori and talked to her about her heart and her faithfulness and, and some to me too. And, and then he said this, he said, I walked past you earlier. And when I did, I had this picture come into my mind of you, the two of you in a jet aircraft on an aircraft carrier and you were about to be launched. And so here we are. We don't know where we're moving, but we know the Holy Spirit's alive and we're looking for the right place. And he comes up with this word that we're about to be launched. I mean, it was just a phenomenal uh, intersection with what we were experiencing in our lives at that time. And he looked at me and he said, you have learned how to do ministry by the book. And he said, you've learned to do it well by the book. He said, now you're going to learn how to fly by the seat of your pants. <laughs> and uh, then afterwards, uh, he spoke to us and he said this. He said, I also saw in this vision, you land the aircraft back on the aircraft carrier, the, the plane. You took off, you completed your mission. And these are the words that uh, have stood with me that I pull out of my pocket all the time the gem that I pull out and look at, he said, God has vouchsafed the completion of your mission. Uh, it, and I'm not sure he used that word quite right, but he, God had, he says, God has guaranteed the completion of your mission. And boy, that, boy, that gives me strength. That strengthens my heart. And that's what prophetic words do. And I just, I just pray for each one of you that at some point in time this year, it doesn't have to be today or next month or even month after that, but at some point of time this year that, that God will give you a word, maybe through another person. Maybe you'll be reading a passage of Scripture and the Holy Spirit will just light it up to you. And, and you'll see that verse and you'll realize that's a promise to you. And you're going to write that down and you're going to carry it with you. And it's going to be like that gem in your pocket. Or maybe someone in your group will will have the boldness to share just the simple hey, you know, I think God might want to say and, and share that with you. And it will come at that moment when it's, it's just like a flower opening up and you see something beautiful open up when it happens. But um, the, the final step here that we're just going to uh, touch on is this. Have a thankful disposition starting today. Uh, Jehoshaphat, what he does is they go out to battle, but they send the worshipers to lead the way. They send the worshipers first. So the worshipers go out even before they've engaged with the enemy. The battle hasn't been won yet, but they're giving thanks already. They're giving thanks already, and that's where I wanted to bring this back to. They're giving thanks. They're facing a, they're facing a huge battle, but they're starting off with thanksgiving. And why not start off giving thanks today? Back in 1994, I thought to myself, in five years, I'm going to look back on this time, and I'm going to be so excited about what God did. And I'm going to be thankful for how he carried us through this uncertain period. So I thought to myself, well, why don't I start being thankful today? Why wait until then? And so what God wants us to do is lead 
with thanksgiving. And he doesn't mean by that that you thank God for bad things. I don't think that that means, you know, like, like, like I've read things as extreme as if your child is ill and in the hospital, you just start thanking God for that because God has some mysterious plan for it. I don't think that's right. I'm not going to thank him for cancer. I'm not going to thank God for things like that because I don't think they come from him. But when you're facing something like that and you're facing that enemy of cancer or of joblessness or of divorce, you're facing that and you say, God, I'm so thankful that you are good. I'm thankful that you love me and I'm thankful that in spite of this this enemy that is, uh, I'm facing right now, you're with me, and I can face it with you. Thank you for that, God. And by that, we develop this thankful disposition. That's really the key thing to just opening up and, and seeing God's presence and power and life pour into our lives and even pour into our situations. And, and God's, it's God's battle. So today, what we're going to do is celebrate the victory that Jesus had for us on the cross. We're going to receive communion And those that are going to serve communion can make their way back right now and begin to prepare. Worship team is going to come to the front. We're going to uh, go into a period of worship. And communion represents Jesus' victory on the cross. Communion represents the changed heart we can receive when we receive Jesus into our lives. And Jesus gave bread. He said, this is my body. And what we do is we, we pick up the little cracker, which Jesus gave flat bread so this, this represents that. And you pick that up and you say, Jesus, thank you that you gave your body for me. And we dip it in the juice, and the juice represents the blood of Jesus that he shed for us. We say, thank you for shedding your blood for me. And then we eat it, and that symbolizes our complete dependence on him and, and our need for him. And there's even healing in this action. There's healing in this moment. And uh, we don't believe that the, the bread and the cup become the literal body and blood of Jesus, but we do believe that God's presence is here when we celebrate worship in this way, in a, in a special and powerful way. So would you stand with me? And uh, when the servers are ready, you can you know, participate at any time you're ready. But Father God, we open our hearts to you. We just open our hearts to you. We want to receive all that you have for us. We want to honor you for your goodness, your love for us. So as we worship now, release your presence, release healing, release life. In Jesus' name, amen.